today we have a very special guest. Uh, his name is Yan Wu, uh, the co-founder at Bond and also former SoFi. Uh, Yan, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. And uh, yeah, let, let us know a little bit more about yourself uh, and namely uh, some of the great news that you have achieved with, with Bond so far. Absolutely. So um, my entire career, Mike, has been in the, this intersection of finance and technology. Um, I spent well over a decade in the hedge fund industry uh, leading teams that were doing machine learning, AI, um, uh, prediction models for making stock price decision uh, decisions. Um, and then um, a few years ago, I saw uh, financial technology as an area that was just growing tremendously and had the opportunity to join a company called Social Finance or SoFi. SoFi is one of the uh, largest financial technology companies based here in the United States, raised uh, about $2 billion of capital from investors like um, SoftBank, Silver Lake, um, you know, some of the largest uh, investors in the world. Um, at SoFi, I learned the tricks of, in the trade of consumer finance. I led the data science team there, which was about 70 to 80 people. We were doing, um, again, a lot of machine learning, deep learning, AI, on customer segmentation, marketing problems, underwriting problems, managing risk, so on and so forth. Um, and I, that led me to the next um, initiative that I'm working on right now, which is Bond Financial Technologies. What I realized was uh, even though $150 billion of venture money was put into FinTech last year, nobody was really working on a technology solution that helped the old world merge with the new world. And what I mean by that is banks in the United States have to issue financial products for these tech companies like SoFi. This integration between the two of them uh, is essentially a forgotten land that people use Excel, email, PowerPoint, PDF to basically run the day-to-day -day business and it's just not scalable. For the entire industry to innovate at a much faster, much more rapid pace, there needs to be a platform-based phenomenon similar to an AWS, similar to what Twilio did to text messaging, similar to what Square has done to payments in order to make uh, innovation happen at a much faster pace. So uh, at Bond, we formed a phenomenal founding team. Um, we got great partners on very early on. Uh, and then that was many, much of the reason why we were able to raise a very significant institutional seed round from some of the top investors here in the Valley. So super excited, it's a brand new baby. We're coming out of stealth mode about two months ago um, and everything's going uh, really, really well. Congrats again for that. It's, it's really amazing and uh, an impressive uh, milestone that definitely will help you to get to the next uh, one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, let, let's start to talk about uh, some of the scale-up habits that I respect a lot in order to kind of go through this journey to get to the 100 million revenues uh, as fast as possible. And yep. I believe that one of the critical ingredients to scale, it's uh, always the team. In the early stages of business, it's all about the founding team. Later on is uh, what I like to call the leadership team version 1.0, then the 2.0, 3.0, and you never stop uh, building your uh, leadership team 
uh, until you get to 100 million, you go for IPO or, or you keep building mm-hmm. to one B a Zoom and Box that we had yesterday in the podcast, uh, the Chief Product Officer and Chief Strategic Strategy Officer, Jitu Patel, yeah. uh, and sharing amazing things about uh, how to go from 100 million to one uh, B, which is uh, yeah. another kind of uh, beast. So, how important is team for you, especially that now you can compare again uh, the times at SoFi with the times at Bond, that now it's again all about the founding team, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think team and culture are some of the most important things in, uh, um, in, in building a company. So, particularly early on, right, you don't really have a lot to show for it, right? Sure, I have like a, a what some people might call a successful resume the other founders that are on the team have equally impressive backgrounds right but people are looking at this and saying well you know how is this going to be different than like the stable nice awesome office job that i have with like google or facebook or like any of these companies right and so when you don't have anything right and you're trying to build something you have to have a strong uh team that focuses on trust that focuses on ability to help each other out and stepping in when there are things that other people are struggling with, right? And so we spent a lot of time as part of forming this company on what team means to us and what culture means to us, right? And so effectively, you can see it on our website, right? Even as a C-founded company, um, if you go to bond.tech, you will see all the foundational values that we have as a team, right? And I think two of the main things that it manifests itself. So culture is talked a lot. People write all these articles about it, but how does it really manifest in an organization, right? So the first thing is, this has to do with decision-making, right? So we're going to make a lot of decisions at this company that we've never made before, right? Particularly as first-time founders who have never worked with each other in a space that's relatively emerging, right? Um, There's a lot of things that we're going to make decisions on that we haven't made decisions on before, right? And whenever there's gray areas for disagreements, right, or we can't get through an impasse, we go back to our values, right? We go back to our values about being scrappy. We go back to our values of being customer first. We go back to our values, <clears throat> excuse me, about being uh, super buttoned up on compliance, right? And that's how we get through a lot of the difficult problems that we have when it comes to decision making. The second thing is about moving fast and iterating, right? So, yes, like there is a propensity to move fast in the valley, right? Now, moving fast and um, innovating is a function of things not working. Let's be honest, right? Like if you talk to, if you listen to a lot of podcasts like on this show, or if you look at, listen to podcasts of uh, players that are in the industry, like almost unanimously they would say things just don't work a lot when you start a company. Right. And what we have to get rid of, right? What we have to get rid of is this fear or anxiety about something that doesn't work. Because ultimately it's not whether or not it works, it's what you learn from the thing after you've tried it and it doesn't work. Right. Wow. And so in order for us to move as fast as we can, right, in order for us to outpace the competition, right, we have to be in a position to move as um, as seamlessly as possible. That means trying a bunch of stuff that doesn't work and trusting each other that these failures turn into things that we've learned and not into anxiety, right? Those are the two ways that I see it manifesting within the organization. 
This is a, a very good one. And uh, as I was talking today with, with one of the founders that I have the, the privilege to, um, to follow. So our job is to kind of beat your younger self every single day. So it's, yep. it's, it's not about what happens. It's about the way uh, we do about what happens. And yep. it's, it's very easy, as you said, to get caught in the middle of the storm uh, and think that we are uh, the ones who are in, in, the, wrong in the wrong place at, at the wrong time. Uh, yep. And sometimes we are doing amazing, amazing work and we are not even recognizing ourselves uh, how amazing we are uh, yep. doing. And this comes to uh, getting to clarity uh, because only with clarity we can really speed up um, execution. So the vision needs to be crystal clear to everyone in the room so we can be inspired and we can keep moving forward as tough times um, come. So, and, and, and this vision has different paths to, to get there. And let's talk about verticals, about segments, about geos. Uh, how do you define at, uh, at Bond, what is the next big milestone that you need to achieve in the next 90 days and how it fits uh, the big area audacious goal or the, or the vision of the company? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a culture, there's a culture of the jobs to be done framework that I really like. Right. And so when I think about milestones, right, I don't think about it in terms of, <clears throat> I don't think about it in terms of particularly on the, uh, on the product development side, features right or code that shipped or this feature or that button like i don't care right what i care about is that person that's using our product what is going to change the way that they run their business on a day-to-day -day basis right so one of the biggest challenges that we have within the fintech industry is tons of friction between financial technology companies and how they integrate with the banks right so what I want to know is if they were able to use our product, right? Is their life going to be 10 times better? Is their life going to be like, or is their innovation going to be 10 times quicker? Are their margins going to be 10 times better? Right? That's what I think about when it comes to milestones. Right? And then how does that, so, so then the question is, is like, how does that get manifested on a day-to-day -day basis? Right? The day-to-day -day basis, I challenge every single person at this company to think about things in terms of benefits. Okay, so particularly with, you know, product data engineering teams, uh, it's very much like feature focused, right? We shipped that feature, we shipped this line of code, we stood up a microservice, right? We instrumented these events, who cares, right? I challenge everybody in this organization to focus on like, what is the, what is the job to be done for the end user, right? Which is, Yes, we ship this feature, right? What is the benefit, right? Um, is it taking friction out of my process, right? Can I turn a one-hour task into a one-minute task, right? Do I have a happier, much more fulfilling engagement, or do I just cause more friction that there's just some stuff that's not working, right? Like, like what is the job to be done there, right? That's really important because it gets everybody engaged with the ultimate end user here, right? And that we're not just writing code into this vacuum on our computer and it's miraculously just shipping stuff out into the ether that nobody uses, right? That to me is how we manifest it on a daily basis. Very, very, very good points. Um, and yeah, always 
thinking about the customer, so customer first and how it helps the customer to be successful and not just about accomplishing milestones for ourselves, yeah. but for our customers, because if they are successful, we will be successful. <laughs> it's always good to remind ourselves. That's why I'm saying this out loud, not only for our community, but also for myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The community. And uh, in terms of if we have the right people on, on the right seats, and that's why we start with team and culture, uh, and very good point that you made about decision-making. Uh, sometimes uh, if you don't have a clear um, value system and a clear vision uh, or focus, which was the second habit, uh, it will be very difficult for people to, to make their own decisions and to understand what to do when something happens. And this can... Right free you up a lot of time just by formalizing in a crystal clear way what are we trying to achieve together uh, yep. or even better than trying that we will achieve together yep. <laughs> and uh, which is which are the rhythms so everyone nowadays uh, in the valley and uh, across the world are doing the dailies the weeklies the monthlies the quarterlies the annuals uh, the all ends the one-on-ones uh, and we all know that not all, in theory, everyone, very few in reality are doing this. Let, let's be frank. Yeah. What have yep. been some of the most important rhythms uh, for you so far in terms of execution and alignment for your team? You're saying rhythms? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's about getting to, um, I always, this is a John Wooden um, uh, phrase, right? Which is next play, right? It's always about next play. Like whatever happens today, whether we win, whether we lose, whether we like have the worst day um, in the world or having, you know, won a championship, he's always thinking about next play, right? So in my mind, I'm always thinking about what's the incremental next play? How can we get there faster? So on and so forth. Um, give you an example, right? When we uh, first started this company, right? We didn't have product. We didn't have any code written. We didn't have like anything to show for it, right? And so... The next play for us was getting validation into the marketplace, right? So what is the fastest way for us to get there, right? Most Silicon Valley uh, companies will tell you, spend a bunch of money, go build some MVP, iterate a whole bunch of times, right? And then like get it out to the market and see what happens, right? What we did was we went and talked to a whole bunch of customers, right? And we said, hey, um, if we are able to give you these set of features, would that be valuable for your business? And how and would you be willing to pay for it, right? And they said yes. Then we went to another customer. We said the same thing. Then they said yes. We went around and we went to 15, 20 different companies. They all said yes, right? So then what did we do, right? We built a MVP in PowerPoint on a PDF, right? With a bunch of mocks that we had someone help us put together. Right. And then we went back to them and we said, okay, you said this was important, right? Here's a set of features that we believe you might want, right? Is that, is this going to be something you would use every single day? Right. And it was, yes, yes, yes. Some people were saying, jumping up and down, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need. When can you get in this into the marketplace? Right. So you have that validation, right? You take it to any investor, you take it to any potential employee, right? You take it to any partner and you say, Here's my demonstrated evidence, right, that this is going to be important, right? So my question to you is, 
what um, you know, my challenge to anybody out there is is thinking about this from like a next play. How can you get to the next play as quickly as you can? Particularly, uh, another example I think is particularly uh, relevant to network effects in a company like ours, which is essentially um, you know middleware or a network uh, relying on network effects. You have to think about the next customer in the realm of like the next hundred customers, right? That next customer, if you read <clears throat> the Alliance by uh, Reed Hastings, um, network effects mean the next customer that you get adds more value to your current network, which means every incremental customer, right, uh, has higher and higher marginal value. If you think about it from a Facebook perspective, every single person that joins Facebook, right, is more valuable because there's more touch points, there's more places to connect, so on and so forth, right? And so, you know, the way that I think about it is, what is a net customer, right? Like, how can we get them on? How do we give them a better experience so that they come on board, it makes the network that we have here much more uh, valuable for the entire ecosystem, such that the next person will want to come, right? And I think you'll see the snowball effect, particularly with network effect-based companies that, they, they sort of go fly under the radar a bit, and then all of a sudden there's this huge hockey stick that they hit, right? So um, both from an organizational perspective and then also from like, a, you know, how we built the business, I think of it as like a series of next steps. Got it. And um, yeah, coming to uh, one of the most, um, I would say, tough conversations and that creates yep. more anxiety coming again to the beginning of our uh, conversation, uh, which is the triple, two times, double, three times kind of rule. Um, so do you think that it is realistic or it is almost mandatory to really double and triple uh, or triple or, or double uh, every single year uh, when we are scaling up? What is your opinion about it? Um, that's a good question. So I think that you have to do it in a way that's honest and sustainable, right? If you build a good business and you have the right fundamentals in place and you understand the space, right? You can achieve those types of effects, right? We've seen it happen all the time, right? Where companies are growing 20, 30, 40% a month, right? Like doubling and tripling is almost... Uh, I would say undershooting for some of those companies, right? Um, that comes with understanding at the very beginning what the value propositions are, right? That comes with a very, very deep understanding of what the customer pain points are and solving that pain point in a sustainable way such that it's a business for you to run is critically important. Let's take a look at where it hasn't really worked out, right? Uh, the obvious one I would say that's on everybody's mind right now is WeWork, right? Um, that was a business that I think got to the point where there was way too much pressure to grow for the sake of growing, right? Without really understanding the problems at hand or how to solve it in a sustainable business model, right? And as a result, we've done things that, you know, I think all of us agree aren't really the right um, ways to do financial accounting, right? Or not the ways to structure sales deals or not the ways that you would, um, uh, you know, classify a company as like a tech company, right? And I think those are things when it comes to scaling, yes, like the triples, right? The, the 10Xs, like all these mm -hmm. things are important. They're only important if they're durable and sustainable. Got it. Very good point. 
And uh, again, we, we have this discussed people, then a little bit of strategy, uh, then execution, and now we are one, one of the most critical ingredients of any uh, company, which is cash. Uh, if we run out of cash, we run out of business. So what were your lessons uh, raising this first round for bonds? Uh, a, a huge one, by the way. Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, I've been, um, you know, I've been in the uh, fundraising business my entire career from raising funds from the hedge fund industry when I was at BlackRock to raising asset-backed securities when I was at SoFi and here raising money uh, for bond uh, venture, right? So I think my take on it, on raising money is, is particularly for a startup is this, right? <clears throat> um, you, you have to be in a position where you know that you're gonna get to your goal and money is simply an accelerator, right? That is, that is the paradigm that you have to come with. So um, what we did was we had a lot of customer validation, right? Such like, the, and validation at this point uh, with no product was someone willing to pay for a set of PowerPoint slides that had some mods, right? That's very, very strong validation, right? So um, yes, we could have done this a different way, right? We could have done it in advance, we could have taken a loan, we could have done it a lot differently because we were very confident that we had business. And that gives us a lot of uh, confidence in terms of raising an institutional round where we're gonna get the value out of the money without, um, without diluting the entire company away, right? And so when you go to the VCs, um, when you go to the VCs and you have demonstrated value on what you're gonna build and a business that's durable, right? It becomes a much different conversation, right? Than someone who's built an MVP, hasn't really shopped it to anybody, and is sort of unclear on what that money's gonna go to, right? So that's my perspective on raising money, right? It's that you have to be in a position where you validate it so heavily, you know it's gonna work, right? And money is simply an accelerator of that process. Love the way you described it, and uh, a lot of founders will also talk about starting to raise when you really believe that you are gaining momentum and that you can really see the vision and you can really see how to get there. And, and sometimes it's not only about the metrics, of course, the metrics are critical, especially in later stages uh, of funding, but also the belief of the founders that they are on the right way <coughs> and that they will make it happen. And as you said, uh, very well, uh, money will just be the accelerator. So we are coming to the end of the show. Uh, it's, it's incredible how quicker it is uh, when we are having fun. And uh, so if you would have the opportunity to meet yourself uh, when you join it uh, so far, because with Bond it would be uh, too early to ask this question, what advice would you give to yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, at SoFi, I was, you know, I, I had a great time at SoFi. They were really good to me. Um, what, I what I went through at SoFi also was a very turbulent uh, time period. I came in, the CEO left, uh, about a week after I got there, the executive team left, there was an interim team, then we installed the new inter, uh, CEO, he hired a brand new team. We went through, a in the US here, a um, interest rate cycle that we haven't seen in a very long time, had material changes to our business, right? And so 
what I can say to anybody, right, is that this, this was a very, very turbulent time of my career. Um, I, what I would say to anybody is that it's all going to be okay, right? It's all going to be okay, right? So as entrepreneurs, we have to first, we have to first understand that we're, most of us, particularly us that are working in technology startups, raising money from venture capital, is that we're in a place of privilege, right? We are, like entrepreneurship is one of the most privileged jobs uh, in the world, right? And so a lot of us get caught up in like the Gary Vaynerchuk videos of like struggle porn and like, you know, I was on my last dollar and then and, like, <laughs> there, there's no need for that. There's, there's zero need for that. Anchored like it, your investors don't like it, your employees don't like it, your partners don't like it, nobody likes it, right? So entrepreneurship is a, is a luxury, right? And you have to understand that the good and the bad, the turbulence, the highs and the lows, at the end of the day, everybody's gonna be okay, right? And when you, get, when you understand that, you take all of the anxiety and stress out of it, and you're able to make decisions. You're able to make much more grounded, uh, take, take much more grounded approaches to things. And ultimately, I think you'll live a happier life. And that's at the end what we all want, right? A much happier life. Love the, the way you express it, and that's definitely what founders are getting more and more and more that it's all about the relationship uh, with ourselves. So we can only grow if we are able to become better. So I think there is an amazing uh, quote of Jim Ron. Uh, don't wish it was here, wish you were better. So Absolutely. That's a great one. <laughs> don't wish for either problems, wish for very hard problems, because only the, the legendary ones are able to really go for a very big problem. Yep. So be grateful for yeah. the amazing problems. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was really a privilege to have you on the show. Thanks so much again for joining. Hey, Mike, I appreciate it. Love what you're doing. Keep up the great work. Uh, I hope to see you grow to the next level as well.